filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash Made it to 200 episodes uh, officially. We are now. If, even if we stopped recording now, it will have been 200 episodes. Goodbye, Jason. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> and and things. Some things have changed. I think over the last what is it? Almost almost five years of podcasting. We started in 2012. Is that right? Before the 2012 season. Yep. 12, 13, 14, 15. Yeah, almost five years. Four and a half years ish, um, and some things have changed. We we have a cold open now. We've have for a little while now, and usually it's something interesting one of us has done. And another thing that's changed is we no longer have interesting stories to tell, as we learned before this episode. I had jury duty this week. The most interesting thing was running into Ben Olson for two seconds in the jurors' room because Ben Olson also had jury duty. MLS coaches are just like us. Um, J- Jason tried to get a new cell phone and failed. Um, yes. through no fault of his own. They were out of cell phones. They were out of cell phones. <laughs> and Ben has been holed up in his house, uh, trying to keep a human being alive. And I understand succeeding. Mazel tov to you, sir. Thank you. Yeah, good job. And and I I've managed to keep my human being alive for more than two years now. Um, so it can be done. Uh, uh, encouragement. I'm not, I'm not sure about that yet. Um, it can be done i'm not sure yet that can be done by me oh that's that's fair you did not keep my human being alive that was that's true me and my wife doing that for the most part um also her kids like to they like to be alive it turns out um anyway um all of that is is by way of saying that we are old boring people now and i'm just gonna start the show and this is a super auspicious beginning to uh, a milestone episode hey hey welcome in this is filibuster the black and red united podcast for old people who don't do anything i'm adam taylor they are ben bromley and jason anderson we are all from black that's where we write about dc united uh the richmond kickers the washington spirit the u.s men's and women's national teams and whatever else catches our our fancy uh today that is all dc united as it tends to be lately uh, especially as the season, the MLS season gets into its uh, its final stages. Tonight we are talking about DC United's improbable two to two draw in New Jersey against the Red Bulls over the weekend. We are talking about DC United's upcoming trip to the Windy City general area. Uh, they'll be playing the Chicago Fire in Bridgeview, Illinois, just outside of Chicago this weekend, uh, Friday night, in fact, and. To celebrate our 200th episode, we had you guys send in a bunch of questions uh, to our email and to our Twitter, and we are going to answer a lot of them, as many as we can, and we will probably run over time to do that. Uh, Before we do anything, though, new dad, what are you drinking? So last week, I had uh, a fancy moonshine that my sister got me, and so this week, I put that moonshine and combined it with a 
yummy peach apple cider that I got from the local farm stand. And I have no idea if that has a name or anything like that, but it's pretty good. Nice. Jason, what are you drinking? And send in your name suggestions for if it doesn't have a name. Well, you got to describe the the overall. Take a drink and give people wax some details about it. Yeah, come on. Give, give my tasting notes. Yes. Come on, if they're going to name it, we we have our nine minute drinking Wait, segment for the, a reason. Are the both of you drinking out of state themed glasses tonight? Yes. Um, is that I'm, in Ohio? Yes. This is this has a map of an outline of Ohio on it. Uh, mine is just the the beer cozy that I've told us uh, told you guys and our listeners about many times. It is so that the condensation doesn't get all over my desk. <laughs> I am just drinking out of a Buffalo Trace uh, highball glass, so or peach, not highball, old fashioned glass. Peach, uh, apple, cinnamon. Uh, those, those are the main. Those are the main. That's what hits you on the on the front. And if anything blooms off of the back, I'll interject and let you know. Describe the type of tree you would sit under while drinking this. <laughs> hmm. I'm thinking it needs to be shadier than a maple. Is it a really big tree or a younger tree? I would say a younger tree. It's not Is it a fruit-bearing tree or a nut nutty tree or none of the above? Not a fruit tree, definitely, because then you're getting stung by bees and you don't want that. Um, no, I don't want to sit on any nuts or burrs. It's just a regular flowering tree. Okay. All right. So listeners help Ben out with naming, there you go. naming that, that drink. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I have a much more simple thing. I have, uh, evolution brewing slot three IPA, um, is a high, high end Maryland beer. Um, every year gets a uh, plenty of plaudits amongst the IPA. It's one of those IPAs that is, appropriately hoppy uh it is not a uh, assault of hops in which you might never live again um it's not a uh, a stunt beer it, it, uh, they're not trying to put on a show they just want to make a good glass of beer and it is good um i'd also like to note that from the my beach trip i ended up with a bottle of chambord um <laughs> i do not know what to do with chambord um so in the coming weeks you may hear chug, of some chug, chug, some drinks chug. Uh, I did take a swig of it at the beach at some point, and I was like, this is too thick for just drinking oh, yeah. straight. <laughs> yeah. So I don't really know what else to do with it. I'm going to try and come up with something, and it might be a disaster, so look forward to that down the road. But you know who's... Put in beer. Huh. You know who's um, good at suggestions on what to do with drinks, you, or, you know, spirits you don't really know what to do with? Our listeners. Uh, Send in those got- suggestions, too. Because they, we I, on the some air, of our listeners actually helped me out with rum. That's true, but we also were asked uh, by at Filmy Girl tonight to do the sampler when uh, I tweeted out that our opening was going to be boring. So, um, kind of a hit or miss prospect on what to do with alcohol uh, suggestions. We record on weeknights. Um, <laughs> please keep that in mind. Uh, I am drinking because this is a special occasion, our 200th episode. I am drinking my my special occasion whiskey, Michter's limited release barrel strength, Kentucky straight rye whiskey, uh, 109 proof, and it is so delicious. It is so good. Um, if we meet room temperature, that's it. It is perfect exactly how it comes out of the bottle, and um, I cannot recommend it. Enough, if you can find it anywhere. Um, 
Another thing I, I don't recommend or I can't recommend enough, not losing to the Red Bulls. However, you can accomplish that, even if that means getting outplayed badly and scoring two goals uh, starting in the 89th minute of the game, which is exactly what DC United did at Red Bull Arena on Sunday. Steve Birnbaum scored in the 89th minute and Lamar Nagel in the fifth minute of second half stoppage time. Uh, I will not call it the 95th minute because it was not the 95th minute. And yes, I will be pedantic about that. I will stand on that. Uh, United were outplayed for 85 plus minutes of this game. Um, Ben, thoughts on the kind of uh, disparate performance and result? Yeah, I mean, I think I, like most of us, they're pretty much writing off the game by the 55th minute. In my case, literally writing it off, yeah. writing writing a story on our site about how bad no, we yeah, were. Yeah, exactly. And I, I know I didn't have much confidence in the team coming back. And I mean, as ESPN so delightfully put on the screen, the Red Bulls were 45-0-0 and zero, uh, ahead by two goals at Red Bull Arena in the history of Red Bull Arena. Yeah, exactly. So... I think most of us had, had bought in to, to the loss. And so just the fact that they were able to come back and uh, Ben Olsen talked about it after the game, you know, talked about how he never, the one thing he never doubts uh, about his team is their courage and their fight. So I guess in theory, we should have known that they always had this in them, but uh, it was still quite amazing to see and quite delightful. Yeah. And Benny actually kind of threw some shade that they got, uh, Bradley Wright Phillips a little bit flustered in, in his post-game interview. Benny said, you know, you never have to pull out the kitchen sink too early against the Red Bulls because they're going to give you chances late, which is, which is true. It's, it is true, and it, and it came through today. And, and Bradley Wright Phillips, you know, threw some shade back, saying that's your game plan, really, which is also a fair point. Uh, but this is not the first time that I felt the need to kind of separate the performance from the result um, in exactly the opposite way, actually. Against NYCFC, DC United were in charge for, you know, three quarters of the game and then ended up losing because of late madness. And in this game, it was exactly the opposite. Um, Jason, I want to talk about the wings in this game because without Lucho Acosta in the middle, we knew that the wings were going to be really important. And they they did not come through for DC United. Patrick Niarco and and Lloyd Sam were kind of MIA at best on Sunday. Uh, yeah, I mean Niarco in particular, I thought was it, it just wasn't a good game for him. Um, I think the Red Bulls knew that without that central presence, they they really could afford to cheat a little bit. Um, and make sure that anytime we did get the ball wide, that those players were immediately under a lot of pressure. They were boxed in. Um, and that's part of the reason why you need to have a balanced team. And uh, with the central midfield trio that was fielded, United kind of seeded that area creatively. And the Red Bulls did what they should have done, which is saying, OK, if you're not going to create through the middle, then we can afford to have McCarty or Felipe flare out and help pick up on uh, a wide midfielder if they if they have time or uh, one of the wingers can drop back and, and help in in that that case um, so United didn't leave them with enough things to worry about and so the wingers had too much of the responsive responsibility creatively and 
it makes it easy. It makes it predictable. Um, I thought Sam had his moments. Obviously, he should have scored a goal. Um, yeah. It was a good save from Robles um, that he does deserve some credit. But I think if Sam doesn't s- slow down right before he's about to shoot, um, he has a much easier opportunity than he gave himself. Um, and it was already an easy opportunity. He get, he went from having an absolute sitter to kind of a sitter. And it was his own fault that that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, a lesser goalkeeper doesn't make that. You know, if it's one of the bottom 15 goalkeepers in MLS and Robles is right around fifth. Um, sorry, Red Bulls fans, but it's true. Um, you know, if that if, if he doesn't make that save, then I think maybe the Red Bulls, I, I think it would have really shaken them up to give up a goal at that point um, because they, they were in control without having to really, like, push too hard to be in control. And teams in that circumstance, when they give up a goal, they tend to get rattled very easily because they haven't, it's not like they were saying, like, oh, we've been firing on all cylinders, we'll be fine. It's more like, oh, now we have to protect this go- at least one goal lead and we're not even playing very well. Um, but, you know, obviously United got out of it with a point, but, um, it is interesting that we've got Lamar Nagel with three goals in four games now, um, pushing for time. And it, it wouldn't be a shock to me to see, uh, Nagel take over for Sam. I think Niarco has done enough over the course of the year to earn a little more leeway. Um, even though he had the less, the lesser of the two games of, of him and Sam, um, but it wouldn't surprise me at the very least to hear if also were to come out and say, yeah, the, there are three guys competing for two wing positions right now. That wouldn't shock me at all because Nagel is earning it as best he can overall. He did have the mistake on a goal a few weeks ago, but um, he's still producing. Um, and, and he's producing on the kind of opportunities that United tends to create. Um, there's a lot of chaos in the box chances being created right now, and he's good on those. Um, he gets in those spots more than Sam does. Uh Niarco tends to get into goal scoring positions when the team breaks forward um, right. and not so much in the chaos in the box mode. Um, that's not right. He, he ends, he ends up creating some chaos, but he's not the guy in, in front of the goal at the last moment to score a lot of the time. Um, so yeah, I think there should be some competition there because Nagel is, um, I think he's responded well to the fact that United went out and signed Sam and they signed uh, Igbon and Nike, And both of those players are competing in one way or the other with, with Nagel for time. Um, and he's responded in the way that a good pro should. He's, he's fighting as hard as he can. He's making a good case for himself to get back in. So that's definitely a situation to watch this weekend. Um, it seems like he's already beaten out in front of UK. Yeah. I think Olsen views him as a striker more than anything else. Um, yeah. except I guess when we've se- we've seen United at home throw him in on the left when it was, you know, they were trying to, to, um, come back against the Red Bulls, ironically enough. Um, he came in on the left wing instead of up front. But I do get the feeling that Olsen would see him mostly as a forward rather than as a winger. Um, and he's more yeah. of a kitchen sink option on the wing in Olsen's right. mind. In that Red Bull, after that Red Bulls game, um, the other 2-2 draw, uh, Olsen said that he was playing Igbuan and Ike out of position on the left side. Right. Um, which, so, which is, so that seems pretty clear that he right. sees him as a forward. Which is interesting because in Chicago, he had maybe his best spell for the fire playing as a left winger cutting in. Um, Now, the fire were allowing him to step further up the field. Their left winger role started in a more aggressive uh, stance, um, which is odd because the fire otherwise are a more conservative team. I know some of our listeners will not believe that that's uh, possible, but it is. Um, I mean, the fire have been built around keeping it 
keeping it low scoring at the back all year long. Um, so Igbonanike's success in that spot, it was interesting, but it's also not really applicable for United because it's a different system with a built around a different player's skill set. Uh, Chicago does not have a player um, like Lucho Acosta. They're bu- built more around David Akam, who himself plays best on the left wing. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Nagel doesn't really have to worry too much about beating Igbon and Nike for that time, but he does um, He does have a fight on his hands with, with Sam and Niarko. The good thing is that he's doing his best to say, listen, I, I deserve another shot as a starter because it's hard to argue when a guy's got three goals in four games on a team who's, he's also the leading goal scorer on the team with six goals. Um, so those are difficult things to argue with, even though there are, you can say, you know, yes, he's not as good at dribbling as Niarko. Uh, he's not as good a crosser as Lloyd Sam. Um, his movement off the ball might not be as good as Lloyd Sam's, but there are things he brings to the table, especially in road games. I think his defensive work, um, might be appealing to Olsen. And since this is a road game coming up, we might see that as a, a one game thing, but you know, it's all theoretical right now, but I do think that it should at least be considered at training this week, that, that potential switch. And I don't think Nagel has had the opportunity to play with Lucho Acosta since Acosta's really been in his groove recently. It was not, not both started together. Yeah, he hasn't been able to be a part of the unit that has Acosta and Mullins um, right. and, and Niarco up there. Uh, let's let's look at that central midfield, which, as we said, did not have Lucho in it uh, against the Red Bulls. He was on a yellow card suspension, and may he never miss another game so long as he lives. Um, he's that important. There was not really a, a good replacement for him um, on either side of the ball. Um, and, and I said this in, in the three things column I wrote after and during and after the game. Uh, it's not just his presence on the ball and his ability to, to find a through pass and, and to bring others into the game. It's, he's kind of the captain of the press um, when the other team has the ball in their own half. He's the guy who decides when the team is going to press forward as a unit. He's the guy everyone looks to um, to kind of key that. And without him, no one really had the the license and the ability to set United forward as a team and into a higher pressure defensive stance. Uh, the one or two times they did it was right after um, Zubar got hurt for the Red Bulls and Damian Paranel came in. And right away, Patrick Mullins kind of by himself pressed Paranel pretty hard and, and forced a turnover that led to a... a a chance, not a big chance, but a chance for United. Actually, was that the one that um, caused the created the shot that uh, where where Robles took him out? That would have been a red card had Hamid done it a couple years ago. I don't remember I if that so. was that sequence or not. Uh, either way, uh, it did lead to a, an okay opportunity for United um, when they did try to press, but it was much rarer because they didn't have the confidence without Acosta there to kind of. Mm key the team is what is, was my read of it. Well, um, I, I wouldn't even say the, the confidence or, or keying the team so much as just someone who has that in them uh, to go do that. Um, right. Acosta's natural disposition is to go press for the ball. Um, and the guys that were out there were more conservative um, and not just, you know, cons- being conservative doesn't just mean what you do with the ball. It also means what you do without it um, and not having, anyone out there in central midfield that really is comfortable 
um, pressing very high as the first la- helping the first layer of the pressure. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's not so much that they needed somebody to signal it's time to go. It's just that they weren't going to go. Um, and when right. Mullins leads a press by himself, people were sort of willing to help out a little, but there was no real conviction behind it. And it was really just down to Mullins um, winning that one pretty much on his own. Um, but yeah, yeah. It, it's not a great, it's not a great plan to go in, in against the Red Bulls and not have anything to keep them on their heels. Um, and that's how you end up in a game where 99 times out of a hundred, you don't come back from two, nothing down. Um, right. It's an extremely unlikely outcome. And that part of that is the fact that the Red Bulls weren't given enough to worry about either with or without the ball. When they had the mm-hmm. ball, they weren't being pressed in a way that made them worry. Um, which is not really the ideal approach in that circumstance, I don't think. Right. And I think people talked about, uh, let's talk about Ben Olsen's decisions in central midfield. Marcelo was an in Sharpie starter. That's, that's not going to change. So the, the question uh, was which two of Julian Buescher, Nick DeLeon and Rob Vincent were, were going to play. And he chose DeLeon and Vincent. And I think given the uh, barrage Bill Hamid saw in the late stages, that was probably the right decision uh, to start Vincent uh, and De Leon over Buescher. Even though there was less creativity there, the central midfield just became an open door without the ball once Buescher came in. And he's he's an attacking talent, and he, he's got a high ceiling in this league, I think, uh, especially if he's paired with Acosta, and he can learn to do some of the things Nick De Leon does on the in the defensive phase and Rob Vincent does in the defensive phase but right now Buescher just he's kind of I I love his game but he's kind of a liability on defense against a team that's good with the ball yeah and the problem these United has had with the Red Bulls recently a lot is that they get overrun in central midfield so you you knew that Ben Olsen was going to try and minimize the chance of that so it was always going to be Nick DeLeon and like you just said, when, we, when uh, the change happens, it made sense why Ben Olsen wanted that as a change of pace and not from the start. Yeah, and hopefully and, that, that does change. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, um, I, I feel like there was a stage in the game where it would have been appropriate. I think if he had started um, in in the game the way the game played out, I think it would have been a much better move for United yeah. Um, because both teams just didn't really play very well in the first half. It was not, yeah. um, not a good half of soccer. I think I posted the passing percentages from both teams they um, were bad. and they were bad. Um, it was an ugly half of soccer. And I think adding one player to break things open a little bit would have changed things quite a bit. It might've given United a chance to go out and get a lead, um, against a team that was not in their, in their best form. Um, the Red Bulls, to their credit, fixed some things at halftime. They were much better after that. Um, but on the other hand, it, you know, with the game going, if it, let's say Buescher played and the game didn't really change, then yeah, his his defensive play in the second half would have been a major concern because he does seem to have trouble with the decision making process, tracking runners uh, as quickly as he needs to, um, making the decision to get into the right position in the within the defensive structure quickly enough um that stuff is going to come around um i think he's also getting used to a different approach to the game uh than he saw at syracuse um where 
and they were generally speaking usually entering games as the better team on the field uh, in most of their mm-hmm. games for his time in college. So um, it is an adjustment for a younger player. Maybe he would be further along if he had gotten more minutes up to this point. Um, but I, it's it's a strange issue because I do think starting the game he would have helped the team out more. But when he came into the game, certainly he didn't change things like I had hoped. Um, I called for him to come in at halftime. Um, when it right. was only when it was only one nothing, I called for him to come in at halftime. Um, but if I had known that the impact that he was going to have on the game was kind of negligible, then yeah, I might not have said so. Um, but I was sort of hoping to see him take the maybe not in one in one game you're not going to see a player take a full step up to the next level, but maybe show a flash of what we might, what might come in the future. And um, his set piece delivery makes a difference. Um, yeah, that absolutely. that is a. And that's no small thing on this team. I think um, um, I want to say Brendanica, one of our regular readers and listeners, he said that, and he is right. Um, on this team, corner kicks are not a, a minor thing. The corner kick delivery improvement, especially with Sam had come out of the game at that point, um, it does change things on this team, and it does add an element that isn't there otherwise. But at the same time, you don't get to play the whole game taking corner kicks and exchanging corner kicks. You've got to play the whole time. And Buescher has got to, if he's going to become more of a factor on the team, he's got to be more of a factor without the ball. Um, he's got to be make 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 himself known more. Um, and I think all he really did that I can remember uh, without the ball was there was a foul he committed um, where he was booked, if I'm not mistaken, um, or at least he yeah, was I talked to by right. the referee. Um, yeah, yeah, no, he was booked. 68th minute. Um, that was pretty much it. Um, as far as his defensive work and his uh, uh, ability to impact the game without the ball. And he was coming into a game that needed to be changed in that department too. The Red Bulls were kind of overwhelming United and they needed, United needed somebody to come in and push back a little one way or the other. And on both sides of the ball, he didn't really offer that. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about those set pieces for a bit, um, a quick bit before we, we take a, a short break. Steve Birnbaum just might be the best set piece target in MLS right now. Um, on both goals, he won headers to to help set them up, and then he converted one of them after Nick DeLeon recovered the ball in the middle mm. of the box and and put it out to Birnbaum. And had it not been for a block in a second shot, Nicky would have gotten that first assist to go with his his first goal. Uh, although I still think he should have had a hockey assist on a goal earlier in the season. Uh, but but Steve Birnbaum's just been unbeatable in the air. I don't know if there's a lot of conversation well, to have about that. I just wanted to highlight the fact that Steve Birnbaum has been incredible. It does go to him being at the back post more. Um, United has stopped using him as their number one target where they're just trying to get him to head the ball into the goal. And instead, they're having him peel to the back post where he's usually drawing, you know, Teams tend to assign a good marker to him, but they don't necessarily follow him to the back post because they're less worried about that. Um, and so he ends up with a guy who's backpedaling or with a guy that he can beat, um, and he's nodding the ball back across, and the rest of the team is doing a good job of turning that into goal-scoring chances. Um, in this, on the tying goal, uh, he not only beat... I, there were three Red Bulls defenders and Bill Hamid all around him, and um, it ended with, I think two of the defenders and Hamid on the ground and Birnbaum easily winning the header um, that became the goal. So that just kind of shows you with, with that many people running around with that much body mass uh, crashing into one spot, he's the one that comes out uh, completely fine. I know 
Um, it would have been fun to see Hamid get a goal or assist. Um, yeah. Uh, we all would have loved that. But, um, yeah, right now the way United is using him is more creative than it was earlier in the year. Um, and, it, you know, he's had problems finishing those chances. He's been able to get to them a lot. He just doesn't put them on frame. So now turning him into the creator inside the box, using his heading ability to just knock the ball down for somebody else, it takes away the problem and it offers up a new solution. It's kind of a unique look because a lot of teams with their aerial, you know, their best aerial players, guys like Kendall Waston, for example, mm-hmm. generally just get used to sort of go to goal. Um, they they might mix it on. Right. They might mix in like, oh, go to the back post this one time. Um Whereas United's using that as plan A now, and teams aren't used to seeing it, and um, they've also been good about not just doing the same play over and over again. Right, um, and I think and he's actually, also finishing with his feet now. Uh, he's got two goals with his feet, which is uh, an interesting development, because when you think of Steve Burnwell, you don't necessarily think of him being a set-piece target with his shooting, but it's happening. Yeah, he also, I, I will say his senior year at Cal, Berkeley, he, he did have a lot of goals with his feet, most of them from the penalty spot, but because he was their penalty taker that year. But he, he he is a confident shooter with his feet. Uh, and I think that going to the back post has also helped him score some of these goals. He scored a couple goals at the back post, once on a header, and then once uh, tapping in a, berm, uh, a uh, Boswell flick on. But he's also in more space when he does get the ball. So he has a little bit of time to decide whether he's going to lay it off or if he has an opportunity to shoot or, Mm. or whatever. So I think it's actually helped him both on the creative aspect and for his own goal scoring. Uh, And it's it's nice to see a much ballyhooed item in someone's uh, college scouting report uh, come true. So dramatically because often read those scouting reports and then you never remember if, uh, what, what they were touted as on their like other skills other than their primary position. But this one, Steve Birnbaum was advertised in addition to his defending for his set piece ability. And it's kind of fun and nice to see that come shining through. One last thing for this segment, um, that I think is really, I'm just going to say as a setup for next week's show, we are going to be talking about a performance at right fullback next week, because it's pretty likely Sean Franklin will not be playing in that position because he suffered a, what was it? A calf injury in, in this game. Uh, It looked like an Achilles. So calf injury is probably better from, from his perspective and from our perspective uh, than, than that would have been. But he's probably not going to go against Chicago. So Luke Mishu, who came in for him in this game, or Jalen Robinson will probably get the nod. One of those two will, will play against Chicago. And we will be talking about their performance for good or ill in this space next week. So stay tuned for that. We will be right back to talk about DC United's trip to face the fire this weekend. So stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United... Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages or or do something else oh, nefarious... You in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? 
because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. It may seem like DC United just played the Chicago Fire a few weeks ago, but that's only because they just played the Chicago Fire a few weeks ago, and this is MLS, so we're going to do it all again. This time, uh, it's in the village of Bridgeview in Illinois, and it's on national TV, Friday night, 8 p.m. on Unimas. My question to you guys, should we just recreate our Chicago Fire segment from three shows ago uh to essentially guarantee a 6-2 win for dc united or i mean I, by I asking just, that by asking that question is it already too late well i mean you've probably uh you've probably caused too many uh quantum waves and you've we ruffled had, the wings of the butterflies and so we've probably now changed history too much no, for to, to slip that in seamlessly it's i feel like you're podcast. calling me i feel like you're calling me fat with that ben we we you know, I'm calling you, what, know. Ashton Kutcher, was he in that stupid butterfly oh effect movie? That's even worse. Yes, he was. <laughs> I was thinking, like, gravity waves or something, but you're, you're, you're going much, much worse than me being fat. Yeah. Well, you, brought the, you opened the box, and now look what happened. Yep. yep. Here we are. Pandora's box of podcast time travel. Ashton Kutcher movie. I mean, DC United gets to start this game up 1-0, right? Because you can convert two goals from another game against an opponent into one goal in the next game, provided you still win. That's not right? how it works, but the game will start in the 245th minute of stoppage time from the 2013 U.S. Open Cup semifinal held in Chicago. I'm um, pretty sure the uh, the fire announcers are still waiting for that final whistle to happen in MLS play where they're much more comfortable um, letting games end the fire uh, in the last two weeks, since they lost six to two to DC United have beaten the Philadelphia union three to nothing and lost to Toronto FC two to one, both of those at Toyota park in Bridgeview. Uh, Jason, what's going on with the fire in, in since the last time we saw them, you know, the day before yesterday. Uh, well, one thing that's going on is that um, they almost thought they were going to lose David Akam. Uh, there was a late bid, apparently, um, from FC Not, which I think I saw one of the union uh, bloggers note. I, th- I think it was John Rossi from the Brotherly Game noted that um, there was the possibility that the money that the fire got um, so that the uh, – it, basically, it worked out that the, the, the fire had to pay – uh, 
to the union something, and then that money was going to end up taking a player from them anyway because that money went to FC not from the union to get Bodoya. And so it would have been Chicago paying Philly to pay FC not to take their best player away. Um, but that did not work out. Um, they rejected the, the bid. It came in at the last moment, apparently. Um, so they, I think they actually left him out of a game to make sure that if, if it were to work out that he wasn't, he wouldn't be injured. Um, he played 34 minutes this weekend. I assume it was, he was all, he also had international duty, you know, in the midst of all that, um, I assume he'll be back starting. Um, he didn't start against United uh, at RFK um, because they were on. Uh, they had played midweek, so they were rotating. I think he was one of the only players they rotated out, though, which was dumb in the end. Yeah, he also didn't start against Toronto this weekend, which that's was saying, is, mind-boggling. Is, yeah. Well, that's that's due to the uh, international duty. Yeah, I think I guess that makes um, sense. So I, I would expect, expect him, him to start. Yes. Yeah, yeah, he's he's absolutely going to start. Um, but they started to settle into. Um, a more regular lineup. They were in the process of getting there against us, but because of the midweek game, it was thrown off a bit, but they, since they've made a bunch of moves, they've started to play the same, more or less the same team every week, uh, which is something that up until very recently was not at all going to happen. It was a constant rotation of formations of player roles of players starting. It was, it was chaos basically um, for most of the year. And they finally have, settled in and that's I mean they're not good by any means but they're no longer the joke that they were um give or take Sean Johnson uh throwing errors <laughs> yeah I will say he did slip on that throw it was a stupid decision to to make that throw and for those of you who hasn't haven't seen the highlights of the the fires loss to Toronto FC Toronto's second goal came when Sean Johnson inexplicably threw the ball to Josie Altidore who trapped it and um Osorio uh, just chipped it into the back of the net from 30 yards. It was it was an unbelievable play. Johnson pointed exactly where he was going to throw it, and Josie was like, oh, you want me to go go there? Okay. Like, he, he looked confused and like, oh, I'll go here, because he's if pointing there. Chance, he's not actually going to throw it. Yeah. And then he if, threw it. If you get and he a chance slipped to watch while he was throwing it. It straight to him. It was amazing. If you get a chance to watch it in slow motion, you get to watch the decision process of everyone involved, which just makes it better and better. <laughs> Um, it's just because you can see like, Altador be like, "I'm gonna go over. I'm gonna do this. He's th- he's gonna throw it. Okay, all right. I'll I'll take it." You you could tell Altador felt bad while he was stopping that ball. He could he didn't like leap in at the last moment either. He wasn't like, "Oh, this is gonna happen." It was like, "I'm gonna get there." This he is took happening. two steps. It took him two Here steps to get in this spot. And he he stopped it, and he was just like, he just put it. He's just okay. <laughs> if you're gonna, I'm okay. Uh. So the fire, maybe this is a function of playing a a more regular lineup now, um, but I think it is still a statement of kind of the the distance they have to become a, a good club in MLS. They have three ways that they attack, and they use these three ways I, in every game that, that they've played uh, recently, and it's worked somewhat. Uh, way, attack number one is David Akam give him the ball and let him do something, which is not actually a very bad strategy. It's a pretty right. good strategy in MLS because David Akam is a really good player. He can dribble through entire defenses when he's on his day, and then he can pick out a pass or or shoot and score. He's he's a good player, and you have to account for him at all times. The, the second way they attack is get the ball in space around the midfield stripe uh, on the sideline uh, 
for Arturo Alvarez, who will hit a big diagonal ball behind the defense for someone to run onto. Also not a terrible way to play, a little bit predictable if you know it's coming, which DC United should because they do this literally every single game. But we were vulnerable to it the last time we went to Chicago. Uh, yeah. He ended up stacking up key passes. I think he had four or five at the end of the game, and they were all exactly from that. Yeah, so that's what he wants to do, and so you have to make sure your your left winger, whether that's Patrick Nyarko, whether that's Lamar Nagel, someone has to be in his face when when the fire get the ball in transition. The third way they attack is when they're in possession, they will, if they get the ball into the the central portion of the field within, you know, basically any any side of the goal whatsoever, Delu or, or Gozens or somebody is going to just shoot. And they scored a goal like this at RFK. They're going to shoot the ball really hard, and they're good at keeping it on frame and shooting it really hard and low. And that is a recipe for rebounds. And they will look to poke those rebounds in. Those are the three ways that they create goals that aren't just total flukes. And I think those are the only ways they create goals that aren't total flukes. And hopefully this time around we can trust Bill Hamid like he normally does not to cough up rebounds like he did in that first Chicago game. Yeah, I will say these shots are hard to corral, but you have to do better than letting the ball just sit there right in front of the goal. You have to push it aside or hold on to it. You can't let it pop right in front of you, and Bill Hamid will be the first one to tell you that. Um, Jason, am I being uncharitable to the fire and saying those are the only three ways that they create goals? And am I simultaneously also cursing us to a really good uh, creative Chicago goal (laughs) this weekend? I mean, that is pretty much what what they do. That's how they go about attacking they they moved away from having two attacking fullbacks they ended up moving Johan Kappelhoff from center back to right back because they were bleeding too many goals um but he plays right back like a center back who's stuck on the right uh he does not come forward and attack he doesn't really want to be crossing the ball he just he's out there to defend first second and third um so they don't have that extra element coming into their attack um stretching teams out um Alvarez has been pretty good at creating those those chances when he gets wide and playing the ball in or, or hooking a diagonal ball back across. Um, but he's not all that mobile. It shouldn't be so hard to shut him down. Um, and after that, I mean, Akam is obviously a game-changing player for anyone in the league would be happy to have him. Yeah. Um, but after that, I mean, it's a lot of it has just been from effort and opportunism. They are a better team now with um, Solignac, with uh, Delu. They've definitely improved, but it's still definitely a group that has to fight really hard to get anything because they don't have that skill throughout their front six to really open the game up. Um, Rosvan Kochis and uh, Matt Polster are, are pretty decent players, but they don't really open the game up with their passing. They don't have the kind of passing that... Um, takes team out of takes teams out of their defensive structure they're good at keeping the ball but they aren't really good at doing anything with it that's harmful yeah, um good without the ball he'll he'll make a good late run into the box and pop up in surprising places he hasn't done a lot when he's gotten there but he's gotten into positions that are that are tricky and that are dangerous so that that will be something to watch out for i think but sometimes um but, but he he's also yeah. supposed to be the most defensive player in that setup so he doesn't he's got a long way to go to get into those spots um, if they bring Kali Chiam back, um, obviously he's a he's a very energetic player, um, but he doesn't really do a lot going forward. He's much more of a ball hawk than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I don't think they're going to bring him back just yet. Um, Polster and Cochise have played fairly well as a combination. But again, they don't really open teams up. Um, I think what we should look for, though, is if the game is going along and they're, you know, the, this last week, for example, they gave up the second goal and they pulled Polster to bring in a comm. Um, so they added a very attacking player at the sac- and sacrificed a defensive midfielder. So that's something they could do, especially at home. Um, especially since at this point, Chicago kind of has to win every game they have left. Um, they're facing the play, the playoffs have begun for Chicago basically. Um, so don't be surprised to see very attacking moves. If the game is zero zero or if DC is winning, um, don't be surprised to see a guy like Polster get pulled for an attacking player. Um, they've also got, uh, David Arshaki and the, the Armenian they brought in, uh, just before the international break, who uh, he played at RFK, and you might have noticed a gigantic man subbing into a game. Um, that was him. He's like <laughs> six five, six six. He's a striker. Um, I, I at first thought to give you an idea of his size, I thought that he was wearing like Chris Corb style shin guards when he came in, and after a while, I was like, no, those are the full size socks with full size shin guards. It's just he's so big that they look like a Chris Corb situation is going on. Um, he hasn't really done a lot to impress. He's he's still young, apparently. I think he's only 23. Um, but he does give them a target option that they have not had all year. Um, and so if they need to go direct, if they want to feed Alvarez and just have him uh, whip balls and looking for um, looking for a target, that's who they will bring in. Um, but they they are, I guess that there's, there's a bit more depth there now when they're going to their bench. They're not bringing in guys where you're like, why is this guy still playing in MLS? Um, which is what it was at the start of the year. That was what they were turning to to um, to bring life into games. It was guys who were like, "That's someone that probably doesn't belong in the league anymore." Mm-hmm. Um, so they've they've improved in that department, but they haven't really gotten anyone where you say, "Wow, um, it's a com and another guy." Now it's still like it's a com and some guys. Um, they don't have that guy who's almost as good as a com or even as good as a com to make you really worry. Um, but they are better, and they are, I think. Um, a harder working team on offense. So they, they, yeah. they do tend to create some things just from sheer effort. Um, in MLS effort can get you pretty far and they've been kind of good at that lately. I mean, they're still not good. Um, we're, we're talking in relative terms here because they are still arguably the worst team in the league. I know Columbus is behind them on tiebreakers right now. Um, don't forget about Houston. I think the Dynamo have the tiebreaker on both of those, but I'm not 100%. Houston might have fallen or fallen behind them because Houston is also terrible, um, yeah, relatively and, and, speaking. And, I mean, they played so dire, even though I think they came back in that most recent game, or at least played yeah. better, but they're like, first 20 minutes of that game, yeah. they barely <laughs> looked like soccer team. Yeah, right. That, I mean, if, anybody, if any team knows the value of, you know, really just destroying a game and playing through effort and scoring goals through effort, it, it, it should be D.C. United, even if we, we seem to have turned a corner, at mm-hmm. least – on that, so uh, I won't disparage teams for <laughs> for for dealing with that particular situation. Uh, rather than asking Jason to to game plan this one, I'll commend our listeners to three episodes ago where I asked Jason that exact question, and I don't think a lot has changed since then, other than maybe having to account for for David Akam, who we assumed last time was going to play and didn't. So go back and listen. To that is probably more true now than it was actually for the the six two win. And instead of that, we will open up the Twitter box now. Uh, 
which is, you know, where we take questions from you. And this is our 200th episode. And so we, we threw the doors open and we have quite a few questions to get through. So, so let's get to it. The first one is an email. You can always reach us at filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. And David Putnam from Aruba did exactly that. He, he asked us, dear filibuster, one, he, he has two questions. So we'll take them one at a time. Number one, how much longer is Acosta going to be around? Is there any possibility he'll be back next season? And I'm glad we waited on this because the good news is there is a chance. Uh, DC United reportedly beginning conversations with Boca Juniors either recently or in the very near future uh, to keep Acosta around on a permanent basis. And whatever it takes um, of, of Don Garber's money, I'm sure they are going to spend it. Uh, the team has some TAM stored up and uh, they are going to be getting an injection of $800,000 of TAM. Uh, I, I don't know if that happens the day after MLS Cup or on January 1st. When I, whenever it happens, there's more right. TAM coming and the team will be able to use that toward his transfer fee. And I think that they will do so, um, which is probably not ideal. It'd probably be better uh, for the team to, if, if Eric Tohir just opened up the wallet and said, here, take, take a million dollars. Is that how much a banana costs these days? Um, and, and then using the TAM to, you know, build the roster elsewhere. But if, if the options are using TAM or not having Lucho Acosta use, use all the TAM you have to, um, I think is what every DC United fan would, would say, because he is the centerpiece of, of this team. Uh, David's second question. I moved away from DC in 2003 and have not been to RFK since then. I'll, I will be there for the Orlando game in September. Where should I and a few friends get tickets? Love the podcast signed Dave from Aruba. Uh, Dave, thank you for writing. I don't think I said that earlier. So, so thank you very much for, for writing that. Uh, as for where you should get tickets, I assume you mean inside the stadium. Um, and in that, you know, the, the supporters sections, uh, have changed a little bit because the, the district ultras have split off from Barra Brava into their own part of the stadium. But if you want the supporters experience, either the ultras or the, the Eagles or the Barras are still a, a great spot. I, I myself sit with my family on the quiet side of the stadium. Jason, I know you stand right behind the supporters groups. Um, and you, I assume would recommend that. Yeah. I mean, that, that's pretty nice because you're close to, uh, the chanting, but you don't necessarily have to miss half the game because too much is going on around you. Um, yeah. and then when I, when I come up for games, I usually sit. I still, I still sit on the loud side, but I sit up in the three hundreds. And so, so like one row behind, uh, mm-hmm. where, where Jason is. And if you want to, you can sit down the whole game up there. Uh, and but you and you still get the, like the nice vista of the uh, supporters groups in front of you. So if you want a little more space between you and the supporters group, but still have that in front of you, I, I, I also recommend the three hundred section. And then to get to get really fancy, I know Martin Schatzer, who was an original co-host on this show and the the founder of Black and Red United. Uh, when when he comes up to games, I know he he likes to get a seat in the boxes in the suites a little further up. Uh, removed from us proles on on the 100 200 and 300 levels um, and those those are nice especially the 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 club seats have uh, access to uh, you know a room with 
free food and drink, which is very, very nice. If, if you want to spend a little bit of money for that and get a, a better tactical view of what's happening on the field while also getting faced, that is a great, <laughs> great option. Uh, and I can't recommend it highly enough. I've done it exactly one time and it was absolutely worth the $0 I spent and a whole lot more. Uh, the next question comes via Twitter from Jemmy R, who is at NN underscore Gooner on Twitter. He asks us at filibuster DCU, is it time to seriously consider moving Robinson above Opare in the pecking order? Robinson has looked great for a young player, at least when given his few chances to prove himself, while Opare seems to be completely devoid of confidence. Ben, what do you think? Opare yes. or Robinson? Robinson. Okay, Jason. Uh, I'm not sure I would go so far to say Robinson has been great. Um, there have been stretches of games where he's been very good. Um, but you have to, at center back, you cannot get away with 75 good minutes. Um, you've got to come through for, for all 90, and that's the next step for him. Um, Opare, I think there was a stretch of the season where he's playing really well, and we don't really have enough recently to say for sure that he's losing confidence to that extent. Um, he hasn't been good in his last few appearances or two or three appearances. Um, but I think it's an open question. I I don't think it's settled right now. Um, especially given that, um, you have to factor in that we're trying to find the best partner for burn bomb down the road. You know, Boswell is 33. Um, so that, that has to be a, a part of it as well as, is, which player pairs best with Burnbaum, and and I don't know that we have enough evidence on whether Robinson uh, is up for that yet or not. If he's a suitable partner for Burnbaum, because he's ended up partnered with Opare and Boswell, mm-hmm. um, we haven't seen him in that partnership with Burnbaum yet, and you know I don't know when that's going to come up, um, which might be a problem. But I, I do want to see that before I start making any declarations. Um, but I do. It is good that Robinson is pushing for it at all. Um, Coming into this year, I didn't think that, that was going to be on the table because of the way the team talked about it last year. It seemed like uh, that Olsen was not really sure Robinson or what to do with Robinson. And even into this year, there was a stretch of time where it seemed like that might be the case. But when he got called on against the Revs, he delivered. Um, and you can and tell from the postgame t- comments that Olsen was pleasantly surprised by how well he did. Yeah, and and that's a, that's a big step for a player to take. Um, to yeah, I, I think I think part of the the issue here, and I completely co-sign everything Jason said. I think the biggest issue for determining who's ahead of whom, like the biggest hurdle to that, is that Robinson's best game came alongside Opare in that Revs game. It, that you you can't say Opare was bad in that game. He he was really good, and so was Robinson. And uh, I don't know. I, I assume it was Opare being the organizer in that one. And he hasn't looked as good in that role next to Burnbaum, but I don't know if Burnbaum's ready to take on kind of the, he might be, he, he said in, on the men and blazers podcast, uh, take on the, take on the what? Take on the leadership role. Okay. That uh, of, of organizing and being the guy in, in the back four. I don't know if Burnbaum's ready to do that. He said on, on men and blazers last week, uh, when he was in national team camp, uh, Rob Bennett interviewed him and he said that 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 experience with the national team has helped him take on more of a leadership role at DC United. So maybe that that will help him along that lines. The other issue is keeping Burnbaum. Well, of course. And 
I was trying to be glib and keep this keep the segment moving, moving but since that's yeah. not the filibuster way, I will. Uh, We're called I will filibuster, add, Ben. I will, I will the add, name of the show is filibuster. Yeah, yeah. I, I will add more. I'll add a little more detail just to say that. I've, one of the things I've been surprised about with Robinson is how sneakily strong he is. Yeah. So I, I don't think people who are worried about like Steve Birnbaum is not like a totally ripped buff dude. I mean, he's strong, but he's not like a super athletic dude. That's not his primary uh, attribute. But I've, in the in the two games that Robinson's been in there, it's not like he's no pushover either. He's not a pushover. I mean, he's definitely been able to body up opposing players and he's been able to body up big strikers even and he gave no ground and was able to perform perfectly well in in that area so i think just because he's short we shouldn't be unnaturally worried that he's going to get pushed around by strikers in this league yeah i really would like to in a perfect world in my perfect world Birnbaum robinson would be the the pairing of the future, but Robinson has a lot of room sure to, we'll to make pre-season. that happen. Yeah. Hopefully we do see it in preseason um, because that's a, like Jason said, pairings are important yeah. and partnerships are important. It's not just one player and another player. It's that relationship and we have to see them together. And, yeah, and, and Robinson you, has to prove that he, he deserves mm-hmm. to be a starter as well. And, and in MLS circles in general, we tend to, a young player does one or two good things and we go way too far with it. Um, and that's not DC United fans. That's everyone that roots for every MLS team. Everyone that analyzes the league. It's always, well, he's really not even th- just MLS, most sports. Yeah. But yeah. especially American soccer, we're desperate for yeah. young players to do well. We've got a national team coach who says that if you're 17 and you're not pushing someone out of their national team starting job, that uh, you're no good and you failed and uh, it's time to move on to the next guy. Even though, Which means we have one good player in all of Even America. though every other and international in power starts like one or zero teenage players. Um, so I don't know where he came up with his uh, his figures on that, but, you know, that's our Jurgen. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. If, is he ours? He is, isn't he? Damn it. Yep. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, next question comes from Filmy Girl, at Filmy Girl on Twitter asks us at filibuster DCU, where does Andrea Mancini fit into the list of quote legendary DC United players and asks us if a top five ranking is in order. Uh, I don't think we've thought about the, the actual top five, but I'm pretty sure we could come up with five names right here. Mancini definitely on the list. Um, yes, Siam Saralam. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, unlike Alam, I'm going to go, uh, Mancini is is has the the honor of being possibly the worst soccer player ever to play an MLS minute. But also, unlike Alam, at least Mancini played actual minutes in a game sanctioned by the U.S. Soccer Federation. Yes, I don't know if that's a plus I, for Mancini or not. I, I will thing. say that having been bad. having been at both Alam's only appearance for DC, which is a friendly against Chivas, and at the Open Cup game, uh, watching Mancini play from the from the far side of the field, so I got to see him even closer than up close. Um, I think Alam might have been a better player of the two. Um, but uh, you are quite possibly one of like ten people in the entire world qualified. Ten people who make are that evaluation. To abuse them. 
Well, especially since if you went to that Chivas friendly, you're clearly you clearly have some problems. Um, because that <laughs> at that point in the season, it was known that things were bad, and it yeah. was a friendly against Chivas. Um, but anyway, um, I think to throw some other names out there, you'd have to go back to like like ni- the nineties. Um, Thor Lee has come up a lot um, in back in the day. Um, one name I'll throw out there is Nana Kufour, who scored a goal for DC United. Uh, with a header against the Richmond Kickers in a open cup game that DC lost, uh, and then I spent like three hours in traffic uh, trying to get out of Virginia. Um, I think on a, think a pleasant evening for me. <laughs> Fantastic name, and and you know he he was on the not even a bad team. He was on a I think he was on a supporter shield winning team. Guy Rolon Capene uh, never scored a goal for DC United. Got plenty of time. Had lots always, of time on the field. Had some good chances. Like, yeah, always looked like always. he was nearly going to be good, and just um, never, never found a way to actually score goals as a forward. Yeah. Um, but managed to win a supporter shield, nonetheless. I think he he belongs. He he deserves that that legend. Rod Deichenko, if only because we allowed uh, Toronto FC to select him in the expansion draft and then traded away assets to get him back. A first round pick. A first round pick to get him Not back. just assets, a real asset. Um, another another name that's coming to mind for me is a player named J.P. Rodriguez, who we signed on oh, like a yeah. one-game emergency loan. Um, and we DC had a game in which they had like 14 players dress, and he was one of the 14, and they subbed him in at the end of the game. <laughs> um, because at that point, it was like, look, you made the trip, we might as well give you the... Uh, the appearance just to say that you, you're in there. And I, if I'm not mistaken, that was the only MLS appearance of his soccer career. Wow. Um, that's like the, the caps equipment manager who got to a little bit. I mean, that, he was, um, not on the current version of Miami FC, but one of the previous six or seven iterations of that club that have died and come back to life. He was on one of those at that time. Um, <laughs> another name, I, uh, my friend, Sean, who may or may not listen, um, because he has three children, so he doesn't have time for such things. Um, but he would be very upset if I didn't mention a guy named G.R. Cannon, um, who is from the Eastern Shore, who played one game. He was with the Northern Virginia Royals, and it was a similar situation where D.C. had to call pretty much anyone that was physically able to play. Um, and he happened to be available, and uh, the Royals loaned him to D.C. for a game, Um and uh, I believe he got in. Um, but again, we're talking about like a guy who was in the PDL um, suiting up for DC out of need. Um, but every every MLS team has those guys. And, and you know, I know we're we're having a little bit of a laugh, but a lot of those guys were doing their best. Um, yeah. I mean, Mancini. OK, there's a little bit of um, nepotism involved and maybe. I'm More less than sympathetic. A bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm less sympathetic towards him than some of the other names like Cannon and Rodriguez. Um, uh, but yeah, it is sort of a strange world that MLS teams live in, where a guy that isn't on your team, has no attachment to your team, may show up and play for one game and one game only, um, because you end up with injuries or what have you, and you end up with these bizarre s- scenarios where he has the one appearance and he was on the team for four days. And that's yeah, that. I think that that's also a function of MLS being kind of a fledgling league at right. the time. Um, whereas Mancini, Mancini is pure nepotism. Alam is pure. It's not nepotism. I'm not patronage. sure. It's yeah, it's patronage. That's right. Um, 
it's it's not strictly it's obviously not strictly for soccer or even for money right. purposes it is I, I still think I'll, of the owner's home country or something i think alam still has the team record for twitter followers though by it's a true. comfortable margin he was at like half a million yeah. there are a yeah. lot of people in indonesia and all of them it seems love soccer and all of them love siam siralam and Wasn't it like uh, he seems fourth, like a nice fourth largest guy. country in the world yeah it's there, there seriously are a lot of people in Indonesia. It's a huge country. Um, let, let's go to our next question so that I don't just keep saying how big of a Indonesia. country Indonesia is. It's a big country, you guys. It's a lot of big islands with people on it. There are people, lots of them. Uh, our, our good friend Ryan Kiefer from Black and Red United asks us a couple questions. He says, at Phil, he's at Rifa underscore K on Twitter. You should follow him. Uh, he, he says, at filibuster DCU. Chances that FC Dallas wins the treble with numbers. He wants us to to go on record, and it's especially fun because the game is kicking off as we record right now. Uh, right about now, the game is kicking off. So by the time anybody hears this, that game will have been over, and so too could be FC Dallas's chances to win the treble, which in their case, uh, I think we're defining as Open Cup, Supporter Shield, MLS Cup, if if they win the Champions League next year, that's a different thing. Yeah, um, that would be next year. That would be next year, exactly. So, uh, Ben, percentage chance with a number that FC Dallas win the treble? 10%. 10%. Jason? Uh, well, first of all, I, I do have to bring up uh, that a lot of people are going to be very upset at your use of treble because uh, we, we won the Revolutionary War. We don't have to use terms like that. Um, all right, blame, just, blame just, Ryan. Just for the record, all right. Number one, yes, blame Ryan. Number two, send your complaints to in, Ryan. Send your complaints to Ryan. In U.S. court, if you're entitled to three times the damages uh, as a punitive measure, that is called treble damages. We use the that term sounds, in America in the legal system. That sounds like legal advice to me. <laughs> God damn it! I walked right walked into right it. into it. I yep. did. There, I, I built. The, the, the when you door. said in court, I already knew what I was going to say. I, I built the door and then it. walked into it. I just completely <laughs> did that to myself. Anyway, um, uh, I mean, I'm sure I'm pretty sure they're going to win the supporter shield. Um, mm-hmm. They're fav- They should be strong favorites tonight. MLS Cup, I feel like, is the problem because they've got a number of hotheads. So I, I think more likely than Ben is saying, but still only like. 20%. Um, I, I feel like it's just too many. There's too many demands on them to go, um, go all the way with all three. I'll split the difference. Actually. I was, I was leaning on 15% uh, oh. because I think they will probably win tonight, which the fact that we all think that, that there's a decent chance that means, you know, congratulations, New England. And it's the ribs. Yeah. <laughs> but, but congratulations, New England. You did it. Uh, you 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 benefited from the filibuster jinx, which you have Jay Heaps as your coach for another year now. Yeah, congrats. <laughs> bum bum ba da. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think Supporter Shield they they should be favorites for. But Oscar Preya hasn't figured out how to coach in the playoffs yet, and he has to for them to do this. Um, not not that the team I support has been very good in the playoffs in in recent years, but. That's not the question at hand. Ryan's other question is, what's up with Bill Hamid since DC started scoring? Um, and and 
I guess I'll I'll kick this one off and and say that I think he's been facing more and higher quality chances which means that even his superhero effort isn't enough always and so because he's facing more chances and better quality chances uh than we were used to seeing he can't stop them all and therefore he looks more human and he's exposed a little bit more often and when that happens you make more mistakes just like Brad Guzon, who was a great keeper at Shivas USA, he still looked shell shocked for about half a season there before he went to to Europe, uh, to England, and and I think it's not the same thing, but it's it's the same phenomenon writ small for for Bill Hamid. I think a little bit, a little bit, a little bit of it could also be that we we expect the impossible from Bill Hamid. So when sometimes when we nearly get stupendifyingly amazing it seems like a letdown when i mean come on <laughs> he, he makes saves nobody else can make he he still does he proved that on sunday he made a mistake on sunday which he shouldn't have and he was the first one to say he's like he in the post-game interview he didn't want to talk about the the four ridiculous saves he did have he wanted to talk about the one he messed up he's it's like i guessed and i shouldn't have guessed i needed to stay big i needed to make him beat me and I let him beat me instead. Um, I mean, I guess what I would, I would say is that he has made a couple mistakes that he shouldn't be making and they're technical mistakes. Um, the one against the fire, he was going through the right technique of making sure to, to go down to the ground and let that, if the ball, if you can't catch it with your hands against your chest, you're at least letting the ball hit the ground, but he didn't get down fast enough. And so instead of, using the ground in his chest to sort of clamp the ball, he the ball hit his chest and had enough room to get down and bounce off the ground without bouncing and hitting him again. Um, and that's why they had the rebound goal. Um, against Wright Phillips, I think he bought uh, just a tiny little look to the back post. Um, he bought it too much and left too much room at the near post. It almost worked out anyway because um, the, if the shot was a little less powerful, it wouldn't have gone in. Um, but it's still not the right technique uh, on the second one. Um, but it's just a, a small, I would say a small dip in form. I mean, it's not like he then didn't do everything he could to keep United in the game against the Red Bulls. Um, and I, I, he got in our SB nation soccer poll, he got a vote for team of the week, even with that error on his, uh, on his resume for the week. Um, I believe MLS's team of the week had him in second for goalkeepers, um, right. despite, despite the error. So you know, it's not that he's lost that ability to make the top line save, which is more important, I think. Um, but he is in sort of a, he's not necessarily in the, the unbeatable form that he's had sometimes in the past. But I also don't think we're looking at um, a situation where it's once a week or something like that. It, you know, we're, we're talking about two two mistakes over a, what, three and a half, four week span um, in games that United still managed to score eight goals in. Um, and before that, it wasn't like he was making big mistakes either. Um, so I, I think, and there was, there was a little moment there where a few people, um, that watch the league are, you know, looking at the league as a whole, um, maybe overstated after the, the goal this weekend, there was a little burst on Twitter of people maybe overstating the number of mistakes Hamid has made lately. Um, it's two, it's not a, a yeah. ton of mistakes. Um, but that's comes with the expectations of being the best goalkeeper in the league. Um, and the same thing happens if Nick Romando makes a small mistake, people, it's more likely for people to harp on it than if, 
Robles makes a mistake or if David Osted makes a mistake. Um, David Osted, by the way, uh, made an unbelievable save. I don't know if people saw the Vancouver game. He made an absolutely absurd save in that one. It just comes to mind. It's not really relevant. Um, <laughs> but overall, um, I, I'm not too worried about it. If it happens, you know, if it happens again this weekend or if it happens the week after that, and we're still talking about mistakes that Hamid made that led to a goal, then yeah, I'll be worried about it then. But I don't think we're at the point where we need to be actively worried about it, especially given his response to the mistake this weekend, which was to play out of his mind. Next question comes from Josh Weber, who is at Salisbury United on Twitter. He asks us at filibuster DCU. Give me the projected 11 man expansion draft list. Josh, thank you, but we're not going to do that. That would take a lot of time to hash that out among the three of us, even for the three of us to come up with our uh, protected lists. Uh, like an entire episode. Yeah. For those of you who, who didn't hear, uh, MLS announced that there will be an expansion draft for uh, Atlanta United FC and Minnesota United FC. Um, God have mercy on their souls. But they will uh, not be as thorough of a draft as as we've seen in recent years. Rather than each team selecting 10 players, each team will only get five each MLS team will lose no more than one player as opposed to last time where, where DC United lost two players. We lost Lewis Neal and Tommy McNamara, who yes, was a DC United player for a brief, brief window and uh, never forget. So uh, in this one, DC United can only lose uh, one player. They will protect 11 players. There are some players who are protected automatically. Buescher's generation Adidas, unless he graduates, which I don't think he will. He doesn't have enough minutes really to justify graduating. Colin Martin, Jalen Robinson, and Chris Durkin are all homegrown players who will be automatically protected. Everyone else, including Bill Hamid, who originally was signed as a homegrown player, will have to be protected. United will have to protect some number of international players. Assume that Lucho Acosta will be one of them. Uh, Rather than naming 11, let's each of us name one guy who you think people would think is an automatic protect and who won't be, and one guy who might surprise us for being protected. Ben, you want to go first? Sure. I'll go with one. My first, I'll go with my guy who won't be protected will be Bobby Boswell. I think he's, even though he's the captain, I think he's old enough. Uh, and not the kind of piece at this point that you build around that I think DC United can get away with not protecting him. Uh, and as for, as a surprise for someone who will be protected, I think because he's still young, because he's fast and does a lot of hard work and is would be probably a good utility player that a team is looking to fill through an expansion draft. You're not looking to find like superstars, but you're looking to find utility players mostly. I think Nick DeLeon will be protected. Jason? Uh, See, I mean, I, I was going to say Boswell. Um, yeah, I think so. I think all of us were probably we going have, to um, say Boswell. We can have a consensus, Claxon. I, I, I will say that I I wouldn't consider Nick DeLeon a surprise to be I yeah. think a lot of our I think, a lot of our I think you're right. And that was a point I was going to make later, yeah. um, is that some of our listeners, especially those who are down on DeLeon, but the, the guy has forced his way into the starting lineup in whatever position he's been in for however many years, no matter who's been brought in to, to be put ahead of him. 
and and now he people are calling him the standard i think he's still well above the standard to get onto the field um which is the way that we originally used that term on the site for um i think what uh Stephen, Stephen King. King yeah was the original the original standard uh he was the if you see someone worse than him getting regular minutes that's that's what you don't want and i Nick DeLeon would be a very high standard, I think, for him to be the standard. So I, I, I don't think he would be a shock to be surprised to be protected. Uh, in my mind, he would be someone who would be a, a candidate to be a surprise not protected. I think if he's not, he's as good as gone. Yeah, because he's he's still young, he's cheap, he works hard, versatile. Yeah, he's yeah. very versatile, um, and he's he's reliable. He- and he might get pushed aside with with Jeffrey and Vincent taking up some more time nowadays. Um, that might be something that Olson's looking at is that Jeffrey and Vincent make less money than DeLeon. Um, but yeah, I would be, I would be very surprised if he, if at this point, especially because Olson likes him more than a lot of other players, um, maybe more than a lot of our readers and, and listeners would like him to like him. Um, but, uh, I guess to go to give answers that are not completely derivative of Ben, um, <laughs> Uh, or maybe maybe to give like a step down from Ben's answers um, to someone to look out for. Um, Marcelo is 34 um, yeah. and does come in on a lot of money. It might be a situation where United doesn't protect him and takes the gamble that teams are going to say, I, we don't want a 34-year-old or will be 35-year-old defensive midfielder. Um, that might be a risk that they take. Um, and a player that could get protected that I just mentioned, um, Jeffrey could get protected instead. Um, Vincent could also get in there if, if the number of internationals Jason, stop becomes naming an issue. all the players. That's that was where <laughs> I was going to stop. Um, the the international situation though does it does bear looking at because of the the way it's set up is is it's first of all the way it's worded is convoluted at best because um, if you have a if you have three or fewer you end up having to protect all but one. Basically, you cannot. You cannot leave exposed any more than three international right. players. And if you only have three, you still have to protect one. Right. So that, that's actually a sneaky advantage of getting rid of uh, Mancini before. Right. Uh, and probably the reason they wanted to get rid of him uh, is so they have to, it makes their expansion draft math a little easier. Right. So, all right. So international players for United right now are Acosta, Vincent, uh, Alhaji Kamara. Vincent has, a, Vincent has a green card. Oh, Vincent has a green card. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so Acosta, Kamara, Igbonanike. Yep. Yes. Yes. Uh, does Busher have a green do, card? Do you guys want me to do this? I have the list in front of me. Yes, I do. I'm asking. I'm not asking you, for speculation. You started I'm listing asking them. For facts. You started I know. Them. Okay. Because no one was saying anything. Stop. I will list them. The internationals on the team that we know uh, as of now are Kamara, Igbonanike. Uh, Boucher, Boucher and uh, Miguel Aguilar, depending on the status of his marriage and other things. But and a, and, we and have Luciano not been, Acosta. And Acosta. We have not been informed that Aguilar is not international, so we have to assume that he is right now. Okay, um, so, so right now, five. right now, United will have to protect two uh, international slots unless uh, Aguilar's I-9 but, well, paperwork. And keep in mind, uh, Boucher as a generation Adidas is exempt. Right, so maybe so they only really have to protect like we have four. Right. Yeah, so maybe maybe Acosta is the only one they have to protect, which that would be that would be useful. 
Uh, I will say, especially because Igbon Anike's contract figure sort of makes him a no-go, I would think. Yeah, Um, you you can't protect him. His contract is... United's plan is probably to, after the expansion draft goes and he's unselected, to then renegotiate him to a deal that makes is more commensurate to what he's going to do. Even let him go through the re-entry draft and just to to take away any any illusion that he's going to get paid that money from anywhere in the league. Um, I will, I said De Leon's a candidate for surprise, not protection Um, between Marcelo and Boswell. I think those are the, the other ones that, that could be on that list. Like you guys said, I'll say Lamar Nagel could be protected. He's not, he hasn't been a starter, but he's the team's leading scorer right now. Um, And, and I think he's, a very attractive piece uh, if you're an expansion team. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can play forward. He can play on the wing. He's a goal scorer. He's someone who's going to come in and just be a team guy. Uh, and he he's done that wherever he's gone in the league. And he's not someone you necessarily build around, but he will, like I said with Nick DeLeon, he will fight his way back into the lineup no matter who you throw in front of him. And that's and, that's a good quality to build a culture. And unlike during the Toronto FC and Seattle Sounders and Portland Timber expansions. These teams aren't going to be drafting through the expansion draft for people to bring to build their team around. They're going to look for mid-level priced, good utility players, which DC United has a lot of. So, and the other thing I would point out with Nagel um, possibly making him someone that they would protect is a lot of the other attackers aren't. It's not going to be a bunch of attackers getting protected. Sabario. Um, we've already seen rumors that he is going to sign very soon uh, with Saprisa and head back to Costa Rica at the end of the year. Um, he would sign a, what's called a pre-contract, and then when his contract here ends, he would already his job would just start the next day, basically. Right. Um, Kamara hasn't played enough, so I don't think anyone's going to be picking him. Um, and you talked about it about Igbanamika. Right. Um, we don't know what Rolf's status is uh, going forward. Um, yeah, no one, yeah, no I would imagine no one's going to pick him. Um, so there aren't Same that many Corb. other, yeah. you know, um, Colin Martin is homegrown, so he's not on the list. You can't pick him. Um, Aguilar hasn't played a lot. I don't think there might be a team out there that scouted him a lot, but I don't think it's the expansion teams. I think it would be someone known for draft scouting like Kansas City or something like that. Um, but Kansas City doesn't get to pick in the expansion draft, so... Um, unless they make some sort of deal with those teams and say, can you pick this guy and we'll trade you X amount once you get him, which has happened. Um, the expansion draft is full of people making crazy monopoly deals because it's a weird process and MLS is still kind of the Wild West. There's a lot of like, oh, we never thought of that. We should prepare for it by making up a new rule. Yeah, remember when the the Timbers came into the league, They, I think it might have even been their first pick. Uh, took Dax McCarty from the MLS Cup runners-up FC Dallas, and we traded Rodney Wallace out there for him. I think it was Rodney Wallace for yeah, for, for, for Dax McCarty, who lasted because that's a deal you can do during an yeah. expansion draft because random really good players are left exposed um, and for reasons see, passing understanding. And see, this is why we can't give you our full eleven because even just talking about what one two two players each. <laughs> has taken us yeah. into delightful and ridiculous rabbit holes. Which is what this podcast is really all about. La- no, I, 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 I'm totally down with it, but this, see, I, this is why an 11-player version of this would be chock full of MLS history and delightfulness, but also take four hours. 
And so we will go into the last question of the night, which comes from uh, Kevin Schaefer, who is at hippie, not hipster on Twitter. He asks us at filibuster DCU, how many points do you think we're going to need to beat the red line? Are six points versus Orlando city vital. Uh, Jason and I were talking about this a little bit before the show last year. Uh, the last team in the playoffs in the East had 49 points. The, the seventh place team had 44. So really you needed 45 to, to get in. If you were in those top t- six teams this year, the line looks like it's going to be lower. Uh, I think if, if the sixth place team has 45 points, that will maybe even be a surprise uh, because with five or six games left, the teams are that are fighting for it are all below 35 points. Uh, Orlando city has 34 new England and DC both have 33 Montreal has 38. They've played an extra game. Uh, so, so of new England actually. And unlike Orlando, new England and DC Montreal is trending very negative right now. They've not looked good in recent weeks. Jason, do you think uh, setting a number like 42 is, is pretty reasonable? Yeah, it seems like that's all it's going to take. It might not even take that. Um, 42 might be safe. It might not even be, like, inching in. Um, And it's because everyone, I mean, all the teams involved are so prone to bad results. Um, Orlando just lost to L.A. 4-2. D.C., by all rights, should have lost 2-0 on the weekend. So uh, it's, it's... it's been a strange thing because all those teams have tried to improve themselves. The, the Rebs are playing a new formation, finally. Um, he, he's finally, after like a full year and two-thirds, realized that this wasn't going to work. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know that the, 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 the question involved six points against Orlando. I don't think that's a must. Um, but I think four, four points. points. Yeah. yeah, four points is, I, I think this is a, a setup where the team that wins one of those two games is probably barring some sort of outburst from the revs um, or Montreal just completely falling apart and never winning again. I think the team that wins one of those games is going on um, unless, you know, let's say DC wins the home game and then goes to Orlando and loses on the last day. Um, At which point I feel like that last game of the season, DC probably cannot afford to lose. So if we're talking about four points, um, it is probably going to be a de facto playoff game. Um, and we also, Adam and I talked about this before the show, the other game that's going on that day is Montreal and the Revs. Yeah, we have to give some props to to the schedule makers. And that's one of the reasons I think the, the point total will be, the needed point total will be a little bit lower is because these four teams all play each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not round robin or anything, but there are a lot of games involving these four teams against each other during the run-in. And including that final, uh, that final decision day, 4 p.m. Sunday, October, or whatever, uh, DC will be in Orlando and Montreal will be in New England for that. So I think that's that's where it'll be. Uh, so it's you know kudos to the schedule maker. They nailed the red line in the Eastern Conference uh, dead to rights early, like before the season started. They said these are the the, the matchups we want to see on the last day and they got it exactly right uh at least for this part of the table so you don't say it very often but but hats off to you mls schedule makers very rarely in fact this might be the first <laughs> this might be the first time certainly we've ever said it 
uh, I think that's it for our, our 200th episode. Thank you all for, for listening. And thank you, Jason and Ben for, uh, for, for joining me, you know, around 200 times. There've been times all of us have missed, but, but generally we've, we've been the, the, the team for this. So thank you guys for, for going on this ride with me. Thank you for continuing to allow us to blabber at you for about soccer and not killing us because of jokes about goats and legal advice. Oh, you think I'm not killing you. You're dying very slowly, very slowly. Indeed. It's delightful for me. Is is the, is the, is the, uh, what are you drinking actually an elaborate ruse to kill us by alcohol poisoning over the course of many decades? It's been 200 episodes. I can finally admit. Yes. Yes, it my, is. My legal advice would be to point out that the, your admission of wanting to kill us is not the best thing to have on record. And Ben is recording this. It's a podcast. I don't know if you were aware. I, I was confused after 200 times sitting down <laughs> at a microphone. Um, the first one at, at my kitchen table with you physically there. That was one of, yeah. one of the few yeah. times but back before we we were all remote all the time. We recorded on Sunday afternoons and we Skyped Tony Lamarzi to, to join us 200 episodes ago. And here we are thanks, now. Tony. Yeah, thanks, Tony. We're, yeah. we're still around. Uh, and thank you all for listening. Find us at blackandredunited.com. Find us on uh, Twitter at filibuster. DCU for the podcast at Black and Red U for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, it may take us a little while, but we 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 do read all of them that, that come in and and a lot of them do get on the show when we finally do open up the Twitter box. We are on SoundCloud, we're on Stitcher, we're on iTunes. Find us there. Ratings and reviews apparently help us. Um, if you want to be sarcastic in your rating and review, that's that's fine. Just do what you got to do there. Mostly, though, tell a friend about the show. That's really the, the best way to spread the word about us. So we will see you next week for episode number 201. Until then, for Ben and Jason, I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. Bye, Jason. Bye, Jason.